Welcome to The Mortgage Life, a space for down-to-earth conversations about how mortgages contribute to your life. Well, that sounds canned and maybe a little boring. What? There are so many parts to the mortgage industry and real estate finance we can explore and share with our listeners. Okay, you're right. You're right, Mindy. Our goal is to help secure our clients' financial future. I'm Pete Salamosi. I'm Mindy Bodwin. And I'm Sue Salamosi. We're your hosts. Welcome to The Mortgage Life. Welcome. One of us has to start. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the dictionary edition of how to use your income to qualify for a mortgage. The dictionary edition of the mortgage life. That's right. So today we're talking about income because whenever you're looking to get a loan, specifically a mortgage in Canada, the lenders are assessing risk. And one of the ways that they assess risk is One of the five C's of credit. Capacity. Capacity. What is your capacity to pay the mortgage? Exactly. So the banks and the lenders are looking at this. We all think that, you know, we make a certain amount of money, but it's very specific and it can really come down to how we look at that income, how the lenders look at it. And so today we're going to go over what that income looks like and we're going to give you a bunch of definitions. So get out your notebooks, buckle yeah. your seatbelts. <laughs> Actually, this this may be a nice drive episode. Nice drive episode. This will be fun. <laughs> I think it's helpful for people to see why income, why we need an income and then the different types of income that exist. So you can better understand your situation and how somebody would be looking at you and determining how much of a mortgage you would qualify for. Or how you can work towards qualifying for the mortgage in the future. For example, if you've just started a new job and you're on probation, it's a little more difficult to verify a continuing income. Let's start with uh, the definition of like debt servicing. So we, we've said that we've got income, but that income comes into a calculation of what can you actually afford? So like if I make $1,000 a month, can't I just have a $1,000 per month mortgage? Of course not, because then you would have no money for anything else, right? So there's an actual formula that we use. I won't I won't get into the formula, even though I desperately would like to <laughs> lay it out for you. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> but your debts can't be greater than 44% of your income. Period. All of your debts. All of all your debts. All That's of including credit cards, car loans. Any <laughs> and my mind has gone blank on other things we'd have debts for, but all of those debts, your total debt load. Everything that shows up on your credit bureau, also even your property taxes associated with the mm-hmm. properties you own form part of that debt calculation. On the flip side, just before sorry, Mindy, before you move on, on the flip side, if you've got 44% of your income going towards your debts, that means you have 50%. of your income. So think about what you make every month. 56% of that is supposed to be enough to cover food, gas, all the other things that you pay for. New shoes. New shoes. (laughs) Starbucks. (laughs) No. (laughs) Savings. Savings. Retirement. And that's great, Sue. That's kind of where my mind was going as well, as you kind of look at the flip side, right? Because everybody's always focusing on, well, how much How much can I afford? You know, how much can I spend on this new house? But you, you do have to have extra income left over. And then just to take it one level further here, uh, we have the stress test, as we've all heard of. So when we are looking at your income and we're comparing it to your to your debts, one of which is this new mortgage that you're hoping to qualify for. We're not even qualifying you at your contract rate. We have to qualify you at a rate that is 2% higher than your contract rate. Hang on, hang on. 
So my $1,000 per month mortgage payment is actually not being included at $1,000 per month? That's just it. Maybe your mortgage payment's more like $950 a month, your actual mortgage payment, but I have to qualify you at the $1,000 a month mortgage payment. So I think in essence, what we're saying is you need to qualify to pay your mortgage based on your income. So the next question is, what kind of mortgage are we talking about? Uh, what kind of lender are we approaching to qualify this new mortgage on? That's going to dictate uh, what kind of interest rate we're looking at, what's going to dictate how much of your income we can use towards the mortgage. So in a basic sense on standard prime mortgages that you can take to financial institutions and banks, you need to qualify on the, on the qualification that we were just talking about. But if you're in a difficult spot in your life, for instance, if there's trouble on your credit, if there's something else going on that makes it more challenging for you to fit into that bank or financial institution space, then we're going to start looking at alternative and private lending. Yeah. So they don't have that prescribed formula that I mentioned or I wanted to mention where it's the debts can't be greater than 40%, 44% of your income. The alternative and private lenders will stretch those ratios into the 50s or 60s. And in some cases, don't even really look at the ratios. They're looking at things more like What's the loan to value on the property? You know, what, what is this person's overall capacity, like net worth, that kind of a thing? Mm -hmm. Or what's the likelihood that we're going to be able to resell the property if they can't pay, right? If they've got a higher risk on the income side, if they're using less income, let's say, then what's the likelihood that they're going to be able to recoup their money elsewhere? Exactly. And, and even on the private side, when we get to that really flexible side of lending, the flip side of it, of course, is that it has a higher rate, but mm -hmm. they may not look so much at capacity as it, as they would an exit strategy. So there's a, there's a big continuum of what lenders are looking at in terms of this income. But I want to get back to the question of what kind of income. Like we talked a little bit about income. We talked about the ratios. Let's get into what we actually look at for income. Again, I'm just going to preface this with that. We are talking more about in the prime lending, like the bank lender, the monoline lender, when we're talking about yeah. these specific types of income. But where are we starting, Mindy? Well, I say the gold standard, if you're an employee, are the words permanent full-time. We want your income to be guaranteed. We want to know ding, that you ding, ding. full-time <laughs> hours. We want to know that it's permanent. So what does permanent mean? Well, if you contrast it, that doesn't mean that you're on probation, right? Quite often when somebody starts a new job, they're on a three to six month probationary period. During that time, your employer can let you go without a reason that would normally occur in a norm in once you're past your probationary period. So lenders find that to be a risky time to provide a mortgage. Another non-permanent scenario is if you're on a term position, you know, say somebody went on maternity leave and you got hired in their position for nine months. And then after that, it's kind of where is it going to go from there? So that's why we want that permanent full time. If you are in that variable income space where you have a term contract or you're part-time, we usually in that case will want to see a two-year average. So we want to see that that income is continuing and, and what is that average income going to look like year over year moving forward. Yeah, and that's a historical two-year average which again seems a bit contradictory because as we move through our careers, typically our, you know, our 
wages grow, but the only way that we can verify that this variable income is continuing is to look at what, what has happened in the past. So another variable type of employment or a variable type of income is actually being self-employed. So if you're a sole proprietor, you're going to have a variable income. You could have a higher income one year, lower income another year, really depends on how much business you're doing. It depends on a lot of outside factors like COVID that affected a lot of people. So that variability in income can also be looked at. And that again, typically lenders are looking at a two-year average. So they'll typically take your tax return and your notice of assessment and they'll look at the net income. So if you're a sole proprietor, they'll look at your statement of business activities on that tax return. If you're incorporated, you can also look at two years of income. And often with incorporated clients, they will pay themselves. So they could either pay themselves a T4 income, like a regular employee would, or they might take a dividend. And again, both of those can be looked at as long as they're kind of somewhat consistent year over year, we can show that two-year average. And I just wanted to make a point here that came into my mind is when we're looking at a salaried employee or an employee that's earning an hourly wage, we use your gross income. So we use your before tax income for qualification. When we're looking at a self-employed person, especially the sole proprietor, we're actually looking at your net business income. So they take your gross earnings and then they you remove all your expenses associated with your business. So we're looking at your net business income. So it's a little bit different. That's a great point. I just wanted to bring up one more example is if you work for family. Mm -hmm. If you work for family, lenders are going to want to see a little bit more documentation showing the T4 income, how much you make, and that it's consistent year over year. All right. What about someone that's on a fixed income? I'm thinking of a retiree. And this has been in our conversations a lot recently because fixed income individuals are having a harder and harder time qualifying for mortgages because they have that set income amount. It's not increasing. It's not necessarily flexible. So when costs of living are going up and you're on a pension that was fixed 20 years ago, that's concerning. And this is what we're hearing and what's happening currently. So again, just like the the salaried and the hourly employees, when we look at those retirement incomes, the CBP, OAS, or pension income, those will look at the gross amount. So the amount before any taxes are taken off, that's the amount that can be included and the lenders will use for your income calculation. And I find with these ones, lenders like to see what's happening currently. So quite often they will request bank statements because sometimes the CPP or the OAS amounts will change depending on if the person has taken other income in. Yeah. yeah. And they do tend to actually go up a little bit per year. So CPP, OAS will have a cost of living adjustment done every year. So it's always nice to use the most current one because, or even just the most current few uh, months of bank statements, because they will show the current amount that's being paid. And oftentimes, there will be a statement that accompanies these every year that shows what amounts will be paid. Another quick one, another fixed income is a disability income, right? So this right. is not all disability incomes are the same, but something that is bona fide that will continue in perpetuity is something that we can typically use as a fixed income situation. Sometimes they're like the CPP and OAS and that they have taxes taken off. But then other times in very, this is kind of rare cases, but it, it depends on how your disability policy is set up. It can be tax-free and some lenders will actually allow us to bonus up those tax-free benefits, but check with your broker. Giving you a little bit more flexibility yes, uh, and capacity, capacity. Uh, from, from the <laughs> one last kind of 
income on our list here we wanted to cover is investment income. And that can be anything from dividends to other investments or rental income from investment properties. So how are those looked at? Well, investment income can kind of be sliced up. Dividend income, as Pete mentioned earlier, so if you own your own corporation and you take dividends annually and it's consistent, but also if you earn dividends from in basic investments, you know, some stocks even pay, pay dividends. So if you have that T5 dividend income that's consistent year over year, then quite often we can use that as well. I find this, especially when you get into the retired space, a lot of people have that type of income. But when it comes to interest income, unfortunately, no, we cannot use that for mortgage qualification. And the same goes for capital gains income, because capital gains income is very variable. It's when you sell an asset. Are you going to sell that same asset year over year? Of course not. So those two types of, of uh, investment income are actually not used as uh, income for mortgage qualification. And then when we talk about rental income, that's a whole other beast of a calculation <laughs> on its own. I, I really could think of no better word than to call it a beast because every lender looks at rental income slightly differently, whether it's on the subject property, whether it's a non-subject property, if you own multiple properties, whether it's a basement suite, whether it's an upstairs suite, whether it's the whole house, whether you're in a fourplex, there's so many variables and considerations when we're talking about rental income. And it, it doesn't always cover the debt if you have a mortgage on that investment property. So it doesn't always boost a mortgage application. Yeah, quite quite often it works the opposite, right? Because remember what I said, we got to include the property taxes as well. Mm -hmm. So that uh, that erodes a qualification. And so that's a consideration too, if you're thinking about getting into a rental property. We did an entire series on rental properties, but in at the end of the day, it is it's an investment over time. This is a long term thing. If it's what you're getting to do for your investments in rentals, uh, you have to look at it longer term before you're actually potentially going to be making an income from it. That's right. Check out that rental series. I always want to say description in comments, comments in description, I, whatever it is. I'm pointing downwards right now. We need Check our YouTube out. channel for that, Pete. We do. We do. <laughs> I'll get on it. There is one other type of income, though, which we'll get to right now, which is Canada Child Benefit. If you've got kids, you probably know about the CCB. This is a weird one because you're going to be getting some income as, as the parents, but lenders are really specific on how they'll allow this to be included. And so it's going to depend on the kid's age. Typically, the child has to be under the age of termination of the CCB benefit. So if the CCB terminates at age 18 and you've got a five-year term, then typically your child will have to be 13 or less. So like it's 12 and then below. It's not going to be 13 because they're going to exceed eight, 18 years by the time. It depends on the lender though. There's some lenders that'll use 15. So right. that was a good point. Check with your broker. Check with your broker. But I think this whole episode, like you, we said at the beginning, was filled with a lot of definitions and a lot of things to consider. I hope you enjoyed your drive with us or your listen through <laughs> this episode as we've tried to break apart income and income qualification as clear as we can. And hopefully we've been able to kind of strike some ideas as to what kinds of incomes are included. And just out of the kind of the tip of my mind, I thought, one other kind of income, and when we're thinking about these qualifications and income, we have co-signers. Co so maybe that's an episode that we have to do in the future is talking about co-signers and guarantors. I'd like it to stay on the tip of your mind, Pete, the tip. until we put it in a later episode. <laughs> 
But I think that brings us to a really nice spot to finish this episode, because I think we could go on talking about different forms of income and examples all day. Every single file is different. Every single person has something slightly different on their income. When we get a file across our desk where it's like, we have a job letter, we've called the boss, we've verified employment, the pay stub matches, bank, but you know, tax returns match. We kind of, we're kind of, it's like a, it's like a unicorn, a unicorn file when everything Mm -hmm. lines up. That's true. Well, thanks for listening today and lots of information in there. Get your, all those income documents. We love to see them. Mindy loves to see them. (laughs) I like the T1 generals. I know I'm crazy. I probably should have been an accountant. Um, Just realizing that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. This is The Mortgage Life. We look forward to continuing the conversation. So come back and listen. 